Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, Attorney General Dana Nessel joins the program, and John and I will talk to her about government transparency and everything that has happened in the last seven days in the United States. As I said, it is our honor to welcome our guest today, Attorney General Nessel, and as always, my co-host, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. How are you, my friend? Eric, I am dandy. I'm excited about the upcoming holiday weekend. And uh, obviously, I, I the quality of my life I measure against uh, where summer is, and we're in the middle, <laughs> getting in the middle of summer. So yep. uh, sad to see June go, but um, I'm glad to have a holiday weekend coming up. Eric, uh, you know how once every year in March, we devote a show to Sunshine Week, which is the celebration of government openness and transparency and so forth? Yes, sir. Well, we have a special July edition of uh, Sunshine Week here today, and for it, we're privileged to have as our guest uh, someone whose voice in these matters carries a lot of weight. I'd like to welcome to Behind the Headline, Michigan's Attorney General, the Honorable Dana Nessel. Good afternoon, Dana. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, our uh, Attorney General has been kind enough to appear today on the cusp of July 4th, where we you know celebrate our freedoms, and in press, we hold dear um, you know, freedom of the press and uh, the tools that we can use and also citizens as well um, to, you know, exercise those freedoms, uh, to, to hold our government accountable, shine light um, in, in the watchdog role. And the citizens have a role in that as well. Um, one thing that's been a tradition with the attorney general's office in Michigan is to get out among the citizens and do presentations uh, on the Open Meetings Act, on the Freedom of Information Act. And I believe the tradition started with uh, Frank Kelly, uh, uh, lovingly known as the Eternal General, uh, decades ago. And you've continued that tradition, uh, Attorney General Nessel. Um, what is your goal with these presentations as you travel the state? Well, let me first um, tip my hat a little bit to um, uh, my former communications director, the late, great Kelly Rossman McKinney who, uh, you know, when I, when I took office and, and smartest thing that I've ever done in the three and a half years I was there was uh, to uh, beg and plead for Kelly Rossman McKinney to come on board because she, I think, adds instant legitimacy to everything and um, had incredible relationships with the press. And she talked to me right as soon as I got into office about these uh, FOIA and OMA workshops and, you know, as you, as you uh, suggested, you know, um, Frank Kelly started this tradition. It was uh, followed by his predecessors, um, uh, or sorry, by his successors, um, you know, Jennifer Granholm and then Mike Cox. And then I, I apparently uh, Bill Schuette had stopped doing them. And so she was encouraging me to restart them again. And uh, as, as, as all smart people do, they take uh, Kelly Ross McKinney's advice and it was good because, um, you know, I've had some really great events. Um, obviously, you know, we had to struggle with COVID during this, but getting out in the public, I think my most popular events by far uh, have been my FOIA and OMA workshop events. And it allows just the general public to come out to get some information and to learn how they can become more interactive with their government. And, and people seem to, you know, really enjoy and appreciate those events. And I like them too. Well, first, I'm going to take a second. Thank you for mentioning Kelly, because um, I, I thought I was her deepest insider and she made everybody feel that way. Um, she was a great conduit between 
um, the institutions and in state government, the press, the people, and uh, she's sorely missed, of course. Uh, and so, yeah, thanks for thanks for tipping your hat to her. Um, and next, I'm very pleased to say that your next appearance for one of these presentations will be Monday, July 18th at M Live's Grand Rapids Press Office in downtown Grand Rapids. It will be open to the public. Uh, M Live is going to publish in the coming week information on people can register in advance. Um, and Eric, perhaps we can attach that to the show notes we have for this podcast. What can people expect if they attend? Um, and, and what topics are you going to cover that would be useful for them? So what we do is we do sort of a comprehensive, exhaustive uh, review of really what the Freedom of Information Act is, how it's utilized, um, how uh, any member of the public can get certain types of information. We talk about, um, you know, for both FOIA and for OMA, the Open Meetings Act, what, you know, what you have to do in order to get a request granted, how you go about doing that, but also we talk about what, what exceptions there are so that people can have reasonable expectations of, of what they can receive and, and how they can receive that information. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really proud of, again, um, I can never talk about Kelly Ross McKinney too much, but you know she's the one who uh, encouraged us, you know, found out even from her hospital bed uh, that reporters were having a hard time paying for their FOIA requests mm -hmm. because it still had to be done in check and could not be done via credit card uh, online or over the phone. And she changed that. And as a result, all of the departments in Michigan changed uh, how they process these. So, you know, just the, the kind of influence that one person can have in this space who understands um, the importance of the public's ability to access this information. I really can't think, don't think it can be overstated, but we try to get into all that information so that we walk you through from start to finish how FOIA works, how OMA works, and, and what information you can get, what information by law you can't get. Right. And Eric and I have done whole shows on the hurdles, obstacles, frustrations of and that's coming from a journalistic perspective, as you mentioned, um, getting information, some of it practical, some of it is bureaucratic, and some of it sometimes is political. From your appearances and the talks you're having with citizens, what do you think are people's biggest misconceptions or even blind spots about these rights? Uh, you know, how, how is it a matter of needing to educate? Is it for them bureaucracy, the hassle of going through delays, denials, appeals, things of that nature that are intimidating? What what are you hearing from uh, the citizens of Michigan? Well, I think it's all of that, to be honest with you. Um, but the thing that I wish people would would know, and really what I think we ought to be focusing on to some extent is, we should have uh, law schools that place more of an emphasis on teaching attorneys how mm -hmm. to handle FOIA and OMA lawsuits and understanding that attorney's fees are paid for this. Um, we don't have enough specialists and so I think that a lot of entities, a lot of municipalities, uh, boards, et cetera, that are subject to FOIA and OMA kind of get uh, around the rules. They, they can skirt the rules because there are so few lawyers out there that know how to practice in this field. And I think that's a considerable disservice to the public because there are many, many times where really an entity deserves to be sued 
they're not following the law. And you just don't, you just have a lack of, of attorneys that know how to handle these. And so I, when I talk to people, I say, hey, why don't you get an attorney to file a lawsuit on that? Because, you know, you're entitled to that information. You know, they can't, they can't find a lawyer and they're like, well, I can't afford one. It's like, well, you shouldn't have to afford one because the attorney's fees are built into the case um, under the provisions of law. So that's an area that I've tried talking to some people like, you should think about specializing in this area. Mm -hmm. You can make a lot of money. Right, right. And I'll say one thing about public officials, uh, and I want to stop here and say, because I hear from public officials whenever I write a column or we talk about government resistance, um, you know, boards and councils and city commissions to giving information or not understanding open meetings. And I hear from really uh, professional politicians or public servants who say, no, this, you're talking about the exception. Most of us do follow the law. Most of us do follow the rules and understand them. Uh, but I think people, when they run into it, it's it's personal. I mean, when you want to find out what that development is, it's but near your neighborhood and you run into hassles or, um, or a proprietary sense that that information doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the public body, you know. Uh, I think it gives all pol all politicians, all public servants a bad name. And I think in Michigan, you know, and I want to switch a little bit to Michigan because this is a couple of years old now, but um, by the Centers of Public for Public Integrity rated Michigan the second worst state in the union for tr transparency in government. There's a couple of reasons behind that we can talk about. Um, but what what areas do you think we need to make progress in as a state? And I've got a couple that I'll share, but I want to turn it over to you first. That how can we, um, you mentioned one um, about bringing more knowledge uh, in the attorney ranks, but what can we do statewide to improve our rankings and transparency and public confidence in that as well? We can open up the legislature and the, you know, and the governor's office to FOIA. I mean, it's, I, I have to say that, listen, don't get me wrong. I, if you think that I don't sometimes bitch about our FOIA requests, I do. I definitely do. And there are times where it's very cumbersome uh, for us because we'll get something that's a really broad, far-ranging request that's that's not narrow in scope. Sometimes that's done intentionally, uh, and sometimes it's not. It's just because the person doesn't know how to you know narrow the scope of their search mm -hmm. to, to really fit what they're looking for. Um, but that being said, you know, we do it, right? We honor that and we provide the information uh, as long as it's not one of the exceptions where we really can't uh, because it might compromise an ongoing investigation or reveal personal information that we're not allowed to reveal about a person or something like that, right? Um, but I mean, the fact that you have the, you know, the, ent the entirety of the legislature and of the governor's office, mm -hmm. not at all, subject to FOIA, not the Michigan Supreme Court either, right? right? I mean, it's, I, you know, candor to be attorney general and to know that I'm subject to FOIA and the secretary of state is subject to FOIA and not any of these other bodies uh, or branches. I mean, it's insane. I mean, it's crazy. And I will say this, there are a lot of things that I think are just like bad conduct. Um, and I will say this, I'll call it legislators behaving badly mm -hmm. on a number of cases that I know about because our department ends up having to handle the case in one way or the other. I'll give you a couple of examples. One was the redistrict redistricting cases from the 2010 redistricting that turned into a lawsuit. And then another 
actually was the uh, the case that was brought by Tesla, um, where right. they sued uh, mm -hmm. because they couldn't sell their products in Michigan. Uh, you know, I I got a behind the scene you know review were from legislator to legislature legislator and the things they said my god i mean it should be really alarming to the public but they were allowed to say those things because nobody was ever going to see it now of course some people did end up seeing it because there was a lawsuit and when there's litigation you can subpoena those things um, and a court will order you to turn that stuff over but unless you get to the point of litigation you're not going to see that uh, and so, you know, just to have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, it really creates an environment where your government's operating in the dark and sometimes doing some things that are very unethical. Uh, and that should be a concern to, to a lot of people. Right. Well, when we report on this, um, the people of a certain party, leaders of a certain party who have made a lot of movement on this in the, in the legislature say it would inhibit the free exchange of information or free, th you know, as they're trying to form legislation. But I'm like, trust, but verify, right? Uh, we trust, okay, we'll say you're doing everything in the public interest, but let us see. Uh, other 48 other states managed to do this. Um, even states that aren't super progressive states uh, managed to do this. And we can't do this in Michigan. Um, that, that's an affront. You ticked off the top two things on my list and the things that we've talked about for years here. Um, there's also something that I think I go around the world thinking most people are good people with good intentions, unless they prove otherwise, right? And I think a lot of times when we run into snags with FOIA or OMA, it's, it's a lack of understanding or knowledge of the law. You get a lot of turnover in public officials. They don't maybe get educated. And hats off to Lisa McGraw and the Michigan Press Association for educating people. But um, we've also, in my career, I've run into, I've worked in a county that I won't name, where the county executive told the legal uh, counsel, the head legal counsel, just to deny everything that we asked for. Wow. Even if we asked for a list of names, deny it, make us take them to court. And when you run into that kind of banana republic kind of treatment, you're really subverting democracy and really what the intent of who this government belongs to. And, and so I've, we've had a number of, and so we're cynics in journalism, but that's beyond cynicism. That's just wrong. And I, I have felt, long felt, and since I have you here, I'd love to say, I've been spouting this for 15 years. I think if we can have a must-issue law for gun permits, we should have a must-issue law for public information where there's a, a laminated card you give citizens that says, you know, keep it in your glove box or whatever, but you have a right to these documents if you just ask for them and they must be produced. And that they they can't deny you. You have to, and the onus is always on the asker to get the information by going to court rather than putting the onus on the government to give it to you because it says in the law you should have it. So there's a real flaw in the law in my thinking. If I have to go to court to get what is stated in the law, I can have, you know, because what they'll say is, well, it's a matter of you know opinion or degree. You've got to go to court and litigate it. No, I don't think so. So to that end. Um, there's also been talk of an open government commission um, that would kind of issue rulings or, or, or deliberate on uh, complaints about FOIA or Open Meetings Acts uh, without having to go to court. It's something the MPA has been talking about. Uh, what are your feelings on that proposal? And do you think it has even a chance in Michigan of ever happening? 
Well, under the current legislature, no, it doesn't have a chance. <laughs> I mean, let me just to be honest about it, right? Um, but I think the appointees are, to be honest with you. If you have fair-minded people, I don't think it's a bad idea. If you have people who have some sort of an ulterior agenda, then it's not going to be that helpful. So I, I think that's how I would phrase it. I also, I would hate to see people who are, are partisans that really just sort of want to punish certain actors. That, that would be a concern of mine. And so let me say this. We have, you know, we, we do have, firstly, we do have legitimate reasons for denying FOIA requests. Mm -hmm. And again, our, our department, firstly, we're lawyers, we're a law firm. There is something mm -hmm. called attorney-client privilege. And we, and we are giving advice, and, and this is the reason for it, right? You wanna be able to give advice to your clients without having the whole world know about it because then, then they're gonna ask honest questions and get an honest answer. And the, the last thing you want is for, you know, say the Department of Health and Human Services or the Michigan Department of Corrections uh, or the Treasury uh, Department or whoever saying, I'm worried that we're doing something wrong, but I don't want to ask about it because then it can be FOIA'd. So let's just not ask. I mean, you don't want that, right? That's, no, right. that's, that's not good. Um, and investigations and, and, you know, to be really blunt about it, we've had some issues with some of our partners in state government who have been responding to FOIA requests on open investigations and it's compromising the mm. safety of our witnesses. And when you have things like proffers, when you have things like people who, you know, they're making deals in exchange for other testimony, that all comes out during the trial. It shouldn't come out during the investigation. It hinders the investigation right. uh, into illegal conduct. So there are things like that where I've seen firsthand what happens when people accidentally, whether, well, maybe it's accidental, maybe it's not, but when they honor FOIA requests and you're not done with the investigation yet. Right. You know, you can, you can literally, you know, you can destroy months and months of work by doing that. Mm -hmm. So I know it's frustrating because for the press, they're like, well, we want to report it as it's happening. Well, if you report it as it's happening, then sometimes you're never going to get to a point where you have um, important criminal prosecutions and people are not held accountable as they should be because, you know, some things shouldn't be made public until the investigation is complete, obviously. Well, with so, the privilege comes responsibility. Right. And I respect the rules. I speak for me and, and, and I'm live and our journalists um, and I'm the top. So it, it comes down from me. It's all we want is the rules to be understood and observed. But we've had times information has landed on our laps, you know, in an, un in an unsealed envelope on our doorstep, literally. And we don't publish, you know, you, there's certain things both in the rules but in the process that need to be respected for people's, you know, for fairness and for rights. So what our complaints are usually when the rules are not being followed or we're getting whipped by the rule book with delays and, you know, forced to appeal and things of that okay. nature. Let me, let me bring up one other thing. And I, I'm not, I'm not utilizing this as a forum to complain about FOIA because as you know, I support it. And mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's an incredibly important tool to making sure that we have an honest government. Um, but what I also see happen is, you know, I, I came into this office being like, yes, you know, FOIA is incredibly important. But, you know, having been the target of a number of uh, political organizations that, you know, spend, you know, all day, every day sending FOIA requests to us, the problem is it really actually interferes with the workings of government because, 
you know, in order, you know, if I get a request and it has something really broad and I'm going to, we've gotten requests that's anything with the word Flint in it. <laughs> and you, and I'm not kidding you. That's an actual request we've gotten. Can you imagine how long it takes? I mean, with all the work we do all across the, whatever, 27 divisions of our department uh, of every kind, can you imagine what it would look like? Uh, the results of a search of anything from our office at all containing the word Flint. And, and the thing is, you have to have attorneys that interrupt all mm -hmm. the other work that they're doing just to go through hundreds, thousands of emails to say, is this an investigation? Is this personal information we can't give like a social security number we're not allowed to give out, right? Of, right. Of, um, is this, does this have to do with, you know, uh, attorney client privilege, does it? So we have, you know, top level lawyers that, you know, spend half their time having to uh, review FOIA requests and they're not trying to, to, to skirt the law. They just have to make sure that we're not giving out information that legally we're not able to provide. And it's very time consuming when you have folks that are out there, I would say sort of abusing this process and they're only mm -hmm. doing it to disrupt the work of the office, not because they're genuinely interested uh, and wanna hold up you know, government actors accountable. So you know, we, we get that a lot. And, you know, and, then, and then when they get a bill, they're like, oh my God, why is this $30,000? It's like, cause there's 900,000 emails in there. And we right. literally, we had to have our attorneys Again, I know people think, well, it's a FOIA coordinator that looks through that. How much money do they make? This is their whole job. You can't do that. You have to have only the lawyers have the ability to really understand, is this attorney-client privilege or is this not? That's not something a typical FOIA coordinator will know. It depends on who's saying what to whom, who the parties are involved and what they're giving advice about and whether or not is there somebody else that's listed on the email, all the rest of it. So I sort of have seen it from both sides. Yeah. You know, I've seen government entities that are not being, um, you know, are not providing disclosure the way that they ought to under the law. But then I've also seen uh, parties with ill intent that are not really just trying to find out what are the workings of this office and are really just using it for political purposes in a way that I think subverts what the true meaning of FOIA was supposed to be about. And the I think intent of it. I think we could do a whole forum on this uh, for a couple hours, like a checkers match, because then I would say, yeah, we spent 2000 and we got 24 pages that were all blacked out. <laughs> Every single word was blacked out. Right. And, and so we don't know what you don't know, because we're not the ones that are reviewing mm -hmm. it. Um, but also our signal that we need to tighten a request is the estimate that we get on what it's going to cost. So we frequently, it's a self-regulating process. I think respect and knowledge on both sides and communication. Um, I think good relationships between reporting agents, long-time reporters usually have these with public officials, is, is relationships still matter, communication still matters. I think if Kelly was here, she'd say the same thing, as those relationships well, are essential. And that's what Kelly would frequently do. She would get one of these requests, she'd call up the reporter and say, can you just tell me, like, what is it that you're trying to get? If you tell me what you want, I can find it for you, or I could just strip flat out tell you that doesn't exist, what you're looking for. Right. And, and that way, and, and as you know, what Kelly would do and what we try to do as much as possible is not charge reporters at all. We try to just like find the thing that we mm -hmm. know that you're looking for and say, I'm going to get you that. And it's free of cost. And in that way, it takes much less time for us to locate it, you know, if we know that. But 
you know, it, uh, I think it's helpful for both parties to be able to do that. That way you get to do your job, which is to communicate to the public what government is doing, but it's, it's not so interruptive of our work that we have to shut down, you know, really important cases that we're working on just to spend, you know, days and days and days reviewing FOIA requests, which is often what happens. And I think it's important that the public know that when you say to yourself, why does this cost so much money? I mm -hmm. used to think the same thing when I was a private attorney, but then I realized how many hours people have to spend reviewing the, the you know, various different communications that come up in the search, you know, after we do the search, request and we put those items in and now I know why it can be expensive. It's not just, I used to think, well, how much does it cost to make a photocopy of that? Or how much does that cost to download mm -hmm. that onto a drive? That can't be that big of a deal. That's not the expense. The right. expense are, are having, you know, senior attorneys sometimes having to spend days and days, you know, reviewing thousands and thousands of emails to see what can be provided and what can't. And, and then a lot of times this comes to my level where we don't, we'll be discussing, you know, and, and, and the law's not always so clear as to what you need to provide and what you literally can't provide. And remember, some of these exceptions, we could be sued if we provide something right. that we're not allowed to provide. And if I could just use an example of this that I sometimes use. Um, when I was running for attorney general, um, the some Republican uh, affiliated committee FOIA'd my personnel file from when I worked for Wayne County. I was an assistant prosecutor for many years there uh, and they had every right to FOIA it. But what Wayne County did is they forgot to, I don't know, redact anything, including mm. all my personal information. Wow. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and I, I ended up, I mean, I, I, I literally contacted Warren Evans and I was like, you know, I know it's not a good look for me to sue Wayne County, but I'm really mad. Mm -hmm. You know, like my driver's license number, you know, my social security number, um, all of my identifying information. Uh, I, I had to take a leap of absence at one point for a health condition that I had. That's nobody's business. Right. That's nobody's business, you know? Um, and so there, there were things like that, that no, not, you know what? The public doesn't have a right to my social security number and my driver's license number. Maybe my driving but record but not my right. driver's license number. I think and every everyone would agree with you on that. I really do. Um, that kind of personal, it, it's a matter of privacy at that point and somebody messed up there. Um, right, so my, my point is when you talk about like, why does this take so long? Because we wanna make sure that we are not doing that. I, I lecture all day, every day about protecting your personal information so that you don't become a victim of identity theft. So the last thing that we should be doing is giving out information where we haven't spent enough time scrubbing it so we can make sure we're not putting out to the public somebody's personal information that could cause their identity to be compromised so that they become victim to fraud and theft. You know, right. that's the type of thing where when you say, why is this taking so long? That's why, because it's not right for us to do that. Right. Uh we're going to switch gears real quick. We're going to do a speed round because we're getting to the end of our, okay. our time. Um, it's been a momentous couple of weeks in America, um, and you've issued some statements. I've seen your statements. Um, we've had uh, you know, gun ruling from the Supreme Court. We've had religion in schools. We've had Roe v. Wade, and we've had the EPA, you know, EPA's right to regulate the environment. Um, just to, first, Roe v. Wade, uh, what are you, it's your message to Michigan citizens, and what are the limits of your authority there? Well, I mean, look, 
if ever we have had a United States Supreme Court that's trying to bring on the rapture, it's this one. Uh, I mean, I am very, very concerned with the Supreme Court, you know, whether it has to do with abortion or LGBT rights or our ability to uh, to pass reasonable gun, you know, restrictions or our ability to regulate things like, you know, climate change. I mean, this this Supreme Court um, has put us in a very difficult position here in the United States of America. And I will say this, you know, I have never seen a court so hellbent on, um, on rolling back rights that the public has had, that Americans have had for decades and decades. Generally speaking, you know, if we talk about, you know, to, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., you know, the arc, uh, uh, the more, what is it? The arc of moral- The arc of the moral universe there is we long, go. but it bends, it bends towards, towards justice. Well, it's bending back right now. It's bending in the wrong direction is what I'm gonna say. And I take reproductive rights extremely seriously. This is an incredibly important issue. And I don't think people understand, you know, people keep saying, well, what are people gonna care more about? Are they gonna care more about the economy or reproductive rights? Well, guess what? You, those things are inextricably linked. Your ability to plan a family. Um, I mean, if you can't, if you can't afford uh, the price of gas and you can't afford the price of groceries, how can you afford to support a child? And we're not just talking about reproductive rights in terms of your right to determine your, your destiny um, in the event that you have an unplanned pregnancy. I mean, we're talking about a court that looks prepared to roll back uh, the fundamental right to birth control right now. We're talking about a court that could in the coming years decide that you literally, it, that it's illegal to have safe sex. Right, same-sex marriage, um, same-sex sex, even among consenting adults. I mean, those are all, Clarence Thomas made it pretty clear. Also, uh, in Michigan, already at least two county prosecutors have said in Jackson and Kent County that they will enforce any abortion ban. Um, and I know this is a local prosecutor level decision, but what is the limits of your authority in this? As well, state first attorney of all, it's, it's not a local prosecutor decision. It's the court's decision right now. And right now there is a, you know, preliminary injunction that is in place that stops not only me, but anyone in the state from enforcing the 1931 law. So right. for the Kent County prosecutor, for the Jackson County prosecutor to say, well, I might disregard the order of the court. Um, you know, I find that to be outrageous. It's not me telling them that they're not allowed to enforce the law. It's the court. And you have to abide by court orders or else you're subject to be held in contempt. So what bothers me is that I think they're just doing this so that they could put the fear of God into any abortion providers or any OBGYNs that feel as though, you know, uh, abortion services are, are, you know, are required that, you know, that they're not going to risk it because they're so afraid that they'll be charged when those prosecutors know damn well that they cannot enforce this law as long as that injunction is in place. And I understand they've asked for superintending control from the Court uh, of Appeals, but they, they have not yet been granted that. Uh, and the, the court is not, you know, has not ruled in a manner so as to suggest that they are going to lift the mm -hmm. preliminary injunction at this point. So I think they're just trying to scare people and I think it's wrong for them to do so. Well, if you talk about chilling effects, one major hospital system, I believe, was 
uh, I don't want to speak out of thing, but I think it's Beaumont, Detroit, has said they're going to cease those services um, given the current climate. Uh, Spectrum Beaumont, which you know is going through a merger right now. Right. Uh, so we're not we're talking about not just the west side of the state, but right. also as you suggested, the east side of the state. At first, that's what they said, uh, and then they reversed course on that and said oh. they were going to continue to provide all services that were available pre-Dobbs until or unless there is another, you know, order of the court that changes things. Oh, um, okay. So Sorry, that's embarrassing for a newsman to miss that that update, but thank you. That's, for a, that's okay. But in terms of my authority, um, here is the interesting point of contention, uh, I think, when it comes to that. There is a law that technically talks about supervisory authority that the attorney general has over the county prosecutors. Um, my position has always been this. I don't believe that I have or, or really that I should have the authority to tell the 83 county prosecutors what they can and cannot charge. Now, a court of law definitely can tell them that. But to me, it undermines the premise of these you know, county prosecutors. Why, why elect a county prosecutor if another elected office holder can simply tell them what they can and can't charge and remove their prosecutorial discretion? Uh, so that's never been my possession, my, my position. And let me say this, when it comes to things like, for instance, like the Grand Rapids shooting, right? Mm -hmm. um, I said to uh, Prosecutor Becker, if you wanna refer that to our office, we are happy to take that case, to evaluate that case for charges. If we believe charges are necessary to prosecute that case, or if you want to keep it yourself, you do that too. Uh, as long as there's not a conflict of interest and there was not a conflict of interest. So he kept it and he didn't refer it to us. Mm -hmm. Other prosecutors, for instance, Carol Seaman, uh, she has a, a policy where she does refer all of the officer-involved shootings and in-custody deaths to our office, and we take those. So, but those, that's their choice. That's their decision to make, not mine. Uh, and so that's how I've always seen this office. And the last thing that I want I should tell you is, uh, you know, for, for Democrats out there or for people who are pro-choice that want to see me taking supervisory control over the prosecutors or arguing that I have that kind of control, just you wait until I get succeeded by a, an anti-choice Republican who starts telling Kim Worthy or Karen McDonald or Ellie Savitt or, or Matt Weesey and Marquette or, you know, DJ um, Hilson and Muskegon, what they should and should not do in their, you know, independent authority as, uh, as an elected county prosecutor. So I don't do that. I don't engage in that. Um, and, and frankly, I don't think it's a, it's a good way for the state to operate. I think those people are elected by their you know, constituents and they should have the discretion to do what they think is right or not right within the realm of the law. Well, out of respect for your time, and I want to thank you for staying over because these are very important topics. The past week, the past since January 6th, the past five years have shown what happens in democracy if people are not engaged and involved in democracy. And I think to bring it full circle to what we started talking about, um, uh, it, it, very grateful that you get out in front of the people and you engage them around these issues that are fundamental rights that we have, that we've been given. And also if, we're, if they're not used or not exercised, they're in peril. 
And I, I think I'd like to wrap it up that way. I want to say thank you very much to you, Attorney General Nessel, for showing up today on Friday on the eve of a holiday to talk about these very important issues. Well, um, I'm happy to be here. I look forward to us uh, having this event. And uh, I encourage people, you know, we, we have a lot of information on our website about um, OMA and FOIA. And, um, you know, this is a right that you have, but, you know, use it or lose it. It's like voting, right? I mean, if you don't avail yourself of the right to know what your government is doing, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna end up having that information. And, you know, it's important at a local issue, at a state issue, and certainly at a national, as a national issue as well. Right. Education's important, participation's important. Thank you very much again. And uh, that's it for this episode of Behind the Headlines. Thank you very much, Eric, and we'll see you next time.